0: Welcome to the latest episode of the unofficial 75 Greatest Marvels Countdown podcast. In this podcast, we discuss and examine the 75 Greatest Marvel stories as chosen by Marvel readers and published by Marvel Comics itself. The countdown continues every Wednesday until June 1st, 2016. And we have a returning host this time as our guest host. He was with us when this series kicked off for The Death of Spider-Man with story number 75. And John M. Wilson is now returning for number 72, Marvel 2-in-1 Annual Number 7. Welcome back, John.
1: To much acclaim and with much applause. All right,
0: glad to have you back.
1: It's, it's, it's always good to, to, to podcast about comics, and, and I've been excited about this project. The, as we're recording, the episodes have started hitting, and I've been reading along and enjoying the listens, so it's a, it's, it's a good thing we're doing, and I'm happy to be a part of it.
0: Yeah, I'm really happy with the response we're getting so far, too, both from the, the co-hosts and the listeners.
1: Well, today we have um, The Thing
0: up now, right? We do. The Thing's first quasi-solo series. You know, Marvel 2-in-1 was a team-up book, but the, so The Thing was the only character guaranteed to be in every issue. Right. But he was also guaranteed not to be alone in every issue. <laughs> and then after the 100-issue run on this series, he had a run on his own
1: title as The Thing. The Thing. That was post-Secret Wars, if I remember right.
0: Uh. Well, Secret Wars was a big influence on it. It was launching and existed before Secret Wars started. Okay. But yeah, I think Secret Wars hit in the first six or seven issues or so into the Thing solo series. Gotcha.
1: Well, yeah, um, you have a lot of team-up books out there, like uh, Brave and the Bold and Marvel Team-Up, which feature characters that have other solo series. The Thing, his feature book is a team book, and his solo book is a team-up book. So it's, it's a little bit odd, but the thing is a bit of an odd character, so it's, it all works out.
0: Yeah, and it does it, it does work out fairly well for the issues I've read. Might as well get into some details on, on this one before we get into it a lot further. So we are specifically dealing with Annual number 7. And Annual number 7 is slotted in between issues 95 and 96 of the 100-issue series. So it's winding
1: down at this point, okay.
0: Yeah, it is close to, as we said, it, it's more of a relaunch than an end. So we had issue 100 right. of this, and then thing number one followed immediately or almost immediately thereafter. It was already on the books. Okay. Uh, this one was written by Tom DeFalco, penciled by Ron Wilson, inked by Bob Camp, Mike Exposito, Frank Giacoya, Timothy Green, Armando Gill, and Stone, colored by George Roussos, lettered by Jim Novak, and edited by Jim Salakrup under editor-in-chief Jim Shooter. Cover date was 1982. And the release date, at least according to Mike's Amazing World of Comics, who's generally pretty good for this sort of thing, was June twenty-second, nineteen
1: eighty-two. I would have been three years old. I have a birthday in June, so that was just after my three-year-old birthday.
0: Yeah, it's uh well three months before I turned five.
1: Okay, okay. We could have played on the playground together. You would have been annoyed because I would have been the toddler and you would have been the kindergarten kid.
0: Yeah. And that would have involved a lot of travel for one of us, I'm betting. <laughs>
1: We'll get. We'll let you come down out of the cold. Yeah, actually, I
0: I like the cold. So that's uh yeah, born and raised in Edmonton, we get some weather extremes. And Celsius will hit plus thirty five and minus thirty five, which in Fahrenheit is a good one hundred and thirty five degree range in the course of a year.
1: Yeah, that sounds like a pretty uh pretty extreme <laughs> weather range. Florida, it's 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 much more mild.
0: Yeah, We got that much water, it's going to have a moderating effect.
1: But um. I was going to start talking about the cover. Should we talk about the cover? Sure. But I do like this cover. It's uh, We have the thing he's got his boxing togs on, the gloves and the shorts and the, the, the laced-up boots. It's all white. He's not wearing any of his blue Fantastic Four stuff. And he, he looks like he's about to punch out Mike Tyson. And arrayed behind him are a rather eclectic blend of Marvel names. We have Colossus and Thor. We have Sasquatch from Alpha Flight. The Incredible Hulk, in the very back we have Namor, and just poking his head up between all the other's muscles is Wonder Man. So it's it's a pretty varied range of characters here.
0: It is. It's essentially the strongest heroes that can be found on Earth at this point in Marvel continuity. Iron Man, I think at this point, had he was going through his cycles and was in the, the less powerful but more maneuverable armors. So still superhuman strength, but not quite this class.
1: And these all have a natural strength to them. I'm not sure that if I were the guy picking strong people, I would have picked Iron Man. I'm surprised he didn't pick Spider-Man, even though Spider-Man's not like rated for his strength all the time. He is one of the stronger characters.
0: He is. Although he is barely in this issue. But
1: yeah. Oh, did we see him in this
0: one? Yep. And also people who are trying to get every appearance of Spider-Man ever. So I pointed it out to them. He has no dialogue. He's one of the people in the ring in the final group shot in the last panel.
1: Okay.
0: But yeah, other than that, he's absent from virtually the entire issue, which is odd considering the list of characters that do appear in this. This eventually does show a pretty substantial array of Marvel characters.
1: Yeah, yeah. There are even some people that he's like, oh, I might take you, but no, I won't, which we'll talk about when we get there.
0: If we look at the complete roster of, characters in this. We've got The Thing, Alicia Masters. Well, we might as well do this as we're sort of going through the synopsis, but it is pretty substantial. It starts with Alicia carving a new statue of The Thing when Proja, a promoter, appears. And he's here to recruit The Thing to be champion in the universe. And The Thing doesn't want any part of it, but is essentially kidnapped into participation anyway. Now, following that, Proja continues to go around and round people up, which is when we see Thor in the Donald Blake persona, Doc Samson, the Hulk as Robert Bruce Banner, Submariner, Sasquatch, Colossus, Wonder Man. We see Scarlet Witch and the Vision as he's going through. He doesn't round those guys up, though. He rounded up everyone from Thor to Wonder Man on that list.
1: He doesn't do the Vision because the Vision is a synthetic person.
0: Yeah, so he is... You know, a little bit, I don't know, was that speciesist? <laughs> this contest they're being drafted for does not permit non-living entities, for that definition. He would
1: come life. down on the other side of the argument in the Measure of a Man episode of Star Trek The Next Generation.
0: Yes, he would. Then we're introduced to the champion. This is the first appearance of this particular elder of the universe. And he essentially, as far as I can tell, his power is to be really good in a fight. And
1: to have some mm-hmm. amazing hair.
0: Yeah, he does have At the very least, a whole lot of hair. All of which seems to grow off the back of his head. He's got a massive forehead.
1: Yeah, he does. Well, he's all blue, right? And he has this light blue skin tone. and Whenever he goes down to his boxing togs, it's even more apparent. But he has this shockingly red, Mary Jane red, you know, hair coming off of his head. So it just really, really stands out. Yeah, that's probably true when you're going from, you know, the original
0: issue I didn't have the original issue. It's been reprinted exactly once in Essential Marvel 2-in-1 Annual Volume 4, so I'm running off black and white here.
1: Now, it's funny because I told you before we started that I didn't really have any notes about color, and I was just thinking about this off the top of my head, and I forgot that you were in black and white when I brought it up. So, <laughs> sorry about that. Well, no problem. It's,
0: <coughs> yeah, it's, I, I encourage conversations about color here, because I just can't really take part of them. Uh, so, following that... We see that Alicia has called in Mr. Fantastic and the Invisible Girl still. She hasn't upgraded her name yet uh, to help track down the thing. And even though Reed is trying to keep Alicia calm, you know, he's lying in the way the Doctor lies, saying, oh, no, everything's going to be fine, when he's not convinced that it is. We then follow to the X-Men of the time. So we have Kitty Pryde and her Sprite persona, Nightcrawler, Wolverine, Cyclops, Storm, and Professor X, as they decide that they're going to try, you know, tracking these guys down. And then we're back to a training montage. So this is 1982. You have to have the training montage. Unfortunately, this is a print medium, so you can't have that, you know, high-tempo pop rock backing it up. Right. You know, we don't have Eye of the Tiger or anything on the page. Feel free to...
1: No, I, I'm not the Rocky expert. Is this pre-Rocky, 1982? Um, I don't know if it's pre-whichever Rocky sequel had Eye of the
0: Tiger, but the original Rocky I know was from the 70s. Okay. I think Rocky 1 and 2 were the 70s.
1: So... I think Rocky 2 had the eye of the tiger, but like I'm not a Rocky expert.
0: Yeah, I, I thought it was 3 or 4, but again, my knowledge of Rocky is that there was a marathon on TV one day, I enjoyed the first one enough to watch it all the way through, I only got 20 minutes into the second. <laughs> so, it just seemed like there was too much of a reset. Watching them back-to-back, back, he had forgotten lessons he had learned in the first one, and that annoys me, so... And most of the 20 minutes was a conversation, just updating you on the status quo and, oh, these are the lessons he's forgotten. Okay, what else is (laughs) on? So as we get into the training montage, we realize that, yeah, just because you've been drafted doesn't mean you're going to be there the whole time. So Leonard Sampson actually gets disqualified for getting knocked out cold by this training robot right off the bat. And with disqualification, he gets sent home, back to his office
1: where he was originally taken from. Maybe he gets to go back and, and, and try to renew his relationship with Betty Brant since they were dating in the Hulk movie. Maybe. Betty Brant. Betty, uh, Betty Banner. Yes. Ross. Ah, Betty Ross. Yeah. Too many Bettys. Although I think at, at
0: this point in the comics, she might have been Betty Talbot. Glenn was dead, yeah. but she was widowed.
1: Yeah, they were married by this point because they got married. and Yeah. I just I was surprised whenever I realized, because whenever I first saw the Hulk movie, I never connected her boyfriend with Leonard Sampson. It wasn't until recently watching it for my Avengers Inspirations podcast that I was like, oh, that's Leonard Sampson. Yep. Without the green hair.
0: Yeah, well, you haven't had the gamma exposure yet. Leonard Sampson didn't have green hair in the comics either at that point in the storyline. That came when he basically stole Bruce Banner's powers to prove that he could be a hero.
1: I can be a hero, too. Yeah.
0: Let me prove that by stealing powers from an established hero.
1: (sighs) (laughs) Anyway. But I'm not Scott Lang.
0: No, yeah, there is material for a Leonard Sampson podcast,
1: but not this one. Not this one. <laughs> Wait, does, does Leonard Sampson, he's probably one of those that that's not even featured in the 75 Greatest Stories, is he? This is probably the most spotlight he's going to get in the entire run. I believe so, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, there was your Leonard Sampson moment, folks. <laughs> he, uh, he he got picked by Proja, and then he got eliminated for not being able to fight, fight a robot. He's trying to fight a robot, and the robot beats him. A training robot.
0: Yeah, he's uh winding up for a massive punch to prove that this shouldn't present too much challenge, he possesses almost as much strength as the Hulk. And then the ro- training robot seems to hit him once in the groin and once in the head, and he's out for the count. Namor is then disqualified just because he refuses to participate.
1: Yeah. We'll we'll continue on. I, I have thoughts on people getting disqualified, but but we'll we'll continue on.
0: Yeah. Uh next up is Colossus, and this is Colossus in nineteen eighty two. So it is following Giant Size X-Men number one, which John will be back to discuss with us later when that comes around. Woohoo! And uh, in that case, you can see Colossus, he has been influenced by his communist upbringing, and he will work for the greater good and to support the people he's been chosen to represent in pretty much all respects. And he's often concerned he's not good enough for it. That's what we see here. So he's been drafted, he's been thrown in, he doesn't know what's going to go on, and doesn't know why this is happening. But he is going to participate in the training and fight to the best of his abilities for the sake of representing the people he's chosen to represent.
1: Next up, we've got Sasquatch, or Walter Lankowski. This is this is the dude Sasquatch, not the girl Sasquatch from the Ultimate Universe.
0: Yeah. This is the original Sasquatch, the one whose character originates from Calgary, which is about a three-hour drive from where I am. And growing hey. up, he was the closest to a local hero that there was. So I've kind of always had a soft spot for Sasquatch.
1: Neat. Okay, cool.
0: So... That may have changed since Wolverine origin, because we know that was in Alberta. We don't know where in rural Alberta. So, and since Edmonton is pretty much dead center of the province, and Calgary's about, you know, a quarter up from the south, extreme of the province, Wolverine may or may not be closer. But anyway, so Sasquatch is just out there training, and, you know, he's up there, and this is when he's being told he's going to be pushed to the limits. He's just at 150. His trainer says, you got got 100 more to go, and he's on, I don't know. This exposes my complete lack of workout ethic. I... I'm sure there's a name for this apparatus. He's pulling handles out of the wall that are strapped there with yeah, tension. Yeah, he's, he's
1: doing some sort of uh, stand-up version of bench pressing where you're pushing the handles forward. So you still got the same uh, exercise you get from a bench press, but you're, you're vertical, so there's no danger of the bars falling on your neck and choking and dying.
0: Yeah, it's like that uh, infomercial thing where they just had two handles with strong springs in between them, and you're supposed to pull them apart, except instead of being attached to each other, you've got two of those attached to the wall.
1: Wonder Man's on a bike he's like, I'm an actor, not an Avenger.
0: Yeah, he's got power, but he's got no heart and passion for this, which is nice to see in the characters once in a while. Yeah. And then we've got the thing who's... They're commenting, oh, you seem to have the fighting spirit. You get the idea of fighting under rules in a ring. Then Proja, the promoter, is going around promoting things at the Daily Bugle and other places around the world to let people know that there's this competition. Now, some of them... Some of this doesn't quite work out. I'm, I'm not sure. You can kind of tell that this is a Thing comic first and foremost. You know, mm-hmm. cover of Sports Illustrated, the Thing is the only character there. Cover the Daily Bugle, Thing versus Alien Champ. You can kind of get away with it with the Daily Bugle because they've been more favorable to the Fantastic Four than other superheroes. Right. Sports Illustrated, I don't know why they only have one. The mock-up cover of Time has all the characters involved, including those that have been disqualified.
1: Who will be the next champion of the universe?
0: Yeah. And yeah, an eight character array. And it's, as we said, that still has Leonard Sampson and Sub-Mariner on that cover. So
1: I think it's funny that this is just another Friday headline in New York of the Marvel Universe that an alien has come to the Associated Press or whatever and told them that there's going to be a galactic bout between all of these different, you know, muscular mm-hmm. people for the title of champion of the entire universe. And they're like, okay, that's our headline.
0: Yep, yeah, although. To be fair, at least the Daily Bugle does have the subtitle, It's All a Farce, an editorial by J. Jonah Jameson. Yeah, but that's J. Jonah Jameson. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> the bastion of journalistic integrity.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, and there are they even got other aliens coming into Vegas to set up the, the betting odds. That's funny. Yeah, and after the training, they are going into battle. Now, Thor was originally not going to be permitted to bring Mjolnar with him, but they realized it was tied to his powers and they didn't want to deprive him of that. So they decided that, yes, he can bring Mjolnir into the fight. And he's the first to go up against the champion. Now, we do get a a bit of a scene of Cyclops and Wolverine trying to break Colossus out of there. But, you know, neither one of them can dent it. Wolverine's claws can't get through this protective force field. Cyclops' octoblast can't get through. They are making sure that this contest happens legitimately. So Thor and the champion do start, and Thor gets in a few good hits. But the champion... Well, this is the point where he actually banishes the hammer and gives it back to him, because he's recognized that it's tied to his powers. But Thor still gets disqualified for using the weapon illegally in the ring.
1: Oh, yeah, because you're supposed to box, and he's like throwing his hammer at the villain. And so, yeah. yeah. At the champion. I guess I shouldn't call him a villain.
0: Yeah. And the champion says, your weapon is truly formidable, but it has no place in this ring of honor. And thus, I banish it to some nether
1: dimension, and it disappears. So he's tossed out on a technicality.
0: Yeah. Now we get the Human Torch's first actual appearance in the comic as he's in the audience with Sue and Alicia. We get the Hulk brought into the ring, and this is a point where Bruce Banner is mostly in control of the Hulk, but he gets angry enough that he loses that control, and the champion decides that he shall not soil his
1: hands on a mindless brute and warps the Hulk away. Yeah. I have issues with that. We'll come back to it. Yeah. or should I to talk about that now. I mean, we're still doing synopsis, but... Yeah, we you know, might as well throw that in there now, Well, I just, I I don't like that that Hulk and Thor, and this goes for Namor too, they, okay, yes, I know it's a Thing comic. I'm I'm willing to accept that, you know, the Thing is the one who's going to win this show. But, you know, from a storytelling point of view, you have these people who could very legitimately pose a threat and actually beat this guy instead of the Thing, and they're thrown out on technicalities. And so it just kind of bothers me that there wasn't some more, I don't know, reasonable way for them to lose. They were they were they were brought into the story and then thrown out of the story to make way for the thing to win.
0: Yeah, I'm, I would agree with that too. They are, I think, they're there because they are more physically powerful than the thing. At least that's generally how yeah. those three have been treated. So you need a reason for the thing to win and come out on top instead of them, because as you've said, this is a thing comic. As soon as I found out they're going in, the, they're in sequence. I was going, okay, thing's going to be last. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, that's just to be expected by a story of this nature. But, yeah, at the same time, I would rather... Well, you know, I'll hold my comments for the end, because they kind of spoil okay. the end. Um, following the Hulk, Sasquatch is brought in. And he does recognize that he can't rely on his strength alone, and he's got to use his head. So he's trying to use wrestling moves and holds, and actually stands up longer than most of them, but the champion still takes him down. And that's, that does say a lot, because the, the Sasquatch's first appearance in Uncanny X-Men was actually the first one I read, and when it was reprinted in Classic X Men, when they said that he was a medical doctor working in Calgary, and they firmly established his, his strength level. There's in that one he catches a hundred and fifty ton aircraft in his hands by the engine, and when trying to stop it early in his career, he doesn't quite have a grasp for how strong he is. He accidentally throws the plane across the runway into like head on into a blizzard when the plane is trying to go the same direction as the blizzard winds. Wow which tells me he, his strength is enough to lift hundreds and hundreds of tons because he tossed 150 pounds or 150 tons of a jet airliner trying to go to the right-hand side of the page with a full-force blizzard wind going to the right-hand side of the page, and he threw it across the runway to the left where it crashed, just trying to stop it.
1: That's pretty intense.
0: It is. So when, the, when Sasquatch goes down... One of two things has happened. Either later appearances, they decided he's not as strong as he was when he was up against the X-Men in that first appearance, and we just have some inconsistency from story to story, or the champion is just that powerful. And given that the champion is established as an elder of a universe, that's quite possible. So he's in there with the Collector and the Stranger and a lot of these other heavy hitters.
1: Okay. I didn't realize he went on to be more. I I, I got the feeling this is his first appearance. I was kind of like, huh, somebody this big and cosmically powerful And I've never heard of him.
0: Yeah, this is his first appearance, and he shows up again five or six years later in the 1990 Silver Surfer run. Okay. And he shows up in quite a few issues of that, which has a lot of uh, the Marvel Cosmic Universe established, including the Council of Elders, with all the elders of the universe.
1: Okay. Was that Starlin?
0: Uh, Not largely, no. Okay. So, I think he made some contributions, but... Uh, it it was the one that tied in with all the Infinity series and all of that. It was actually quite good. Okay. So following Sasquatch, Colossus comes up and he's in there, ready to do the best he can, and he's just again he refuses to fall. And this is what I like about Colossus. Colossus he's got insecurity himself, but he will not let other people down and he will keep on fighting. And he actually stops when the ref steps in and said, This man can no longer defend himself, I am stopping this fight. So the referee cuts in and says You've beaten him to a pulp. If I let this fight continue, you're just going to kill him. That's not going to happen. And he's brought it on a stretcher.
1: It's a good moment. And there's a really good, uh, large panel of Colossus just taking it. And, um, yeah, I like that beat for him.
0: Right. So at this point we're down to Wonder Man and the champion. And Wonder Man does not last long. (laughs) No, he doesn't.
1: Well, he gets so angry. He starts tearing up the, um, the arena.
0: Yeah, he's decided to to rip out the the mat, essentially, and use that to imprison the champion. He's gonna wrap this around your worthless hide. And the rep just disqualifies him for wanton destruction and it will not be tolerated. So this really is a boxing match. It's high stakes. But one of the things about the champion as the adversary, like he I said, he's not so much a villain. He is fighting by a very clear set of rules. He is doing this honorably. He's just so powerful that you're really not gonna find anyone who can beat him. So next up, we get The Thing, and he's actually the last one there. They're wrapping him, and they've got him, you know, a very good, probably about two-thirds of the page panel of The Thing in boxing robes saying, I'm ready. Maybe I ain't the strongest or the toughest Joe the Champion has ever fought, but I ain't going to go down easy. He's going to know he's been in a fight, a bone-crushing brawl like never before.
1: And it's a really great, I mean, just looking at that page, it's like, okay, this is the end game right here. Whatever's going to happen, this is the start. It's a, it's a great page.
0: It is. Yeah, I just the expression on his face, the pencil work, and the, the ink highlights, the the way they've got the, the thing drawn, he's got a lot of determination, but not a lot of confidence. He doesn't necessarily expect to walk away from this. That is right. his goal. Everything that we've just learned from that speech balloon, you can read off his face without reading the text. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. And that's something, comic art done right, the, the speech balloons are more for details you should be able to follow at least the emotional course of any comic book story without reading a single word, if the art is done correctly. Right. So we get the thing against the champion, and the thing is getting knocked around hard. So he caught him with a surprise left hook, which... The, the physics teacher in me is bothered by this, that the champion's head has flicked the wrong way. If he's been hit by a left hook, then the champion's chin should be going to the champion's left shoulder and not his mm-hmm. right. So they are still fighting, and that force field that Wolverine and Cyclops couldn't get through is also keeping the Thing in the ring and the other characters. A few of them have bounced off it. The Thing drops through the mat and comes back up, and he's ready to fight again. He gets in a few good hits and actually, you know, apparently has broken the champion's ribs, which frustrates the champion, and he says, I'm not going to stop till one of us is totally eliminated. And the champion claims the belt at one point. He's just beaten the Thing enough that the Thing falls. But then, the thing's literally crawling across the mat saying, hold it, this fight ain't over yet, not by a long shot. You only wanted a technicality. You didn't really beat me, you'll never beat me. I'm just too stupid and ugly to know when to quit. And the champion says, now my friend, I could never beat you. I know that now. I could crush your bones and break your body, but I would never conquer your spirit. Any world that could spawn such as you, or spawn one such as you, sorry, is truly the worthiest of all. I sense that someday my people will battle yours for the total supremacy of the cosmos, but that will be in the eons to come, what a glorious competition it shall be. And he essentially chooses to live and says, Yeah, you know what? I won the title, but you've won my respect. Which is good. Yeah.
1: It, it, it's, a, it's a great, great moment for the thing. and He just collapses. <laughs> the champion, you know, Star Trek's out, and the thing just like falls over on his face, and everyone crowds around and congratulate him, and there's your teeny tiny Spider-Man. Appearance at the bottom there. Yep. Um, yeah, this
0: is also where we see Hawkeye and Captain America for the first time. You yeah, there was Steve an Avengers
1: can. shot earlier when they were all waiting for the fight to start. Uh, that might have had some of them. But um, I was reading this, and I'd never read this before reading it for this show. I don't know. Did you have experience with this? Because we, we usually talk about how we came to the story beforehand.
0: Uh, no, I hadn't. I, I own it because at one point I had decided essential volumes are enough bang for the buck. I was just going to buy them all. And okay. I've read the first volume of Marvel 2 and 1, and I hadn't read 2, 3, or 4 yet. So okay. I just jumped ahead, like, 80 issues in that continuity to read this for the podcast.
1: Well, my Thing experience is only with his Fantastic Four, and it's the first 100 issues. as the Lee Kirby run, I've read that, and I've read a few sporadic modern, you know, segments of it. But largely, the, the 70s and 80s Fantastic Four and Thing are just a blind spot for me. So I'd never read this before. So whenever I was reading, I was trying to figure out what put this on the list. What is it that makes this one of Marvel's 75 greatest stories? And it really is a quintessential thing story. He is a bruiser, not in the sense of like a really big muscular guy who just like punches. Well, he kind of is that too, but, but his personality, he's always just wanted to take it to the bad guys to. To, to knock him out he doesn't like solutions to fights that involve Reed Richards coming up with a scientific thingamy and um and this is basically him in a boxing ring fighting for the survival of the earth which is a hugely farcical concept when you think about it but it works in the context of the comic and um and yeah he saves the day with all of the things about his personality and his character that make him the thing
0: How much of the day did he save? I mean, this showcases him, but if we're just going with the nobility of spirit, I think the Colossus fight would have ended there as well. If you look at what ultimately happens here, the champion won the title. That was his goal. And once he won the title, well, the match is
1: over, and he left. Wasn't he going to destroy the Earth at some point, though?
0: Yeah, they talked about how that was, you know, it's for the planet. There's one speech balloon that kind of implies that. But he never says. Maybe, okay. maybe I
1: maybe I was reading into that because I I thought that like if they didn't win, Earth was going to get destroyed or something. <laughs> maybe I made that up.
0: <laughs> yeah, there is there is one where they're talking. You know, he's he's fighting for the world, and they never really understand what the true stakes are. But that's it. There's a commonness that said they never understand the true what the true stakes are. But then they never tell the reader what the true stakes are either. No one ever understands what the true stakes are. Yeah. So the, the champion wins and leaves after. Like I said, both Colossus and The Thing show a very noble stance. Now, The Thing gets more page time for it, but it's there for The Colossus, too. This does showcase The Thing, and that's... I mean, when we're getting into it, that's when I said there's something I wanted to save to the end. This was it. One of the things that's often forgotten about Ben Grimm is that he is more than a bruiser. I mean, his his brain is not anywhere near Reed Richards' levels, but he is a trained pilot and engineer. Right. He and Reed Richards met when they were both college students, and Ben was an engineering student. He's got his engineering degrees, actually two degrees in in engineering. He is no slouch. Now, you compare it to the rest, I mean, it would have been nice if that background somehow played in. So we showed that, yeah, the thing's a smart guy, and that's how he plays through it. If you look at the other characters, Don Blake is intelligent. When he becomes Thor, that's never really forgotten, and that's because Thor inhabits him. And, you know, Thor's not an idiot, but he's not a genius either. The Submariner, he is intelligent, but he doesn't have as much understanding of human technology as others, right? He's His is more of a tactical mind than an engineering mind.
1: And his pride and arrogance often get in the way of his thinking. Right. Now we've got Bruce Banner,
0: who's very intelligent, but here, when he lost it and just went into the rampaging beast, it would have been nice if that was enough that he just didn't have the skill and was just trying to pound and the champion is strong enough to take it and outthink him and put the Hulk down. I would have rather him see that than just, well, I will not swell my hands on a mindless brute and warp him away. I would have liked to see the, the champion beat the rampaging Hulk by outthinking him. Now, Colossus, you know, he's probably average, maybe a bit above average intelligence. He's actually made some bad choices in the past. So I could see him getting out-thought. Wonder Man is just, like we've said, he wants to be an actor and nothing else. Right? He's not going to think in those lines. It would have been nice if, you know, the thing had thought his way around something whether it was around the force field or around because i mean he does have the engineering background right i mean walter lankowski is intelligent too but his is more of a medical background when he was uh he's the one that became sasquatch by trying to reproduce the results that produced the hulk
1: and i get what you're saying i just i wonder if the fact that the that ben Grimm is definitely no slouch in the brains department if that was just never really that important to him as a person if, if if he if he just did the schooling he needed to do in order to be the hotshot pilot or whatever like that.
0: It, it, it could be. Uh, I wonder if, if some of it is just, cause, you know, if you read the Fantastic Four, and I picked that up on DVD. So I've read every published issue up until the last couple of months. I'm behind on my reading. So I own every issue of Fantastic Four, including the current run. I'm oh, probably about three or four issues behind in my reading of it. But going through that, historically, we've seen that all four members of the Fantastic Four are pretty intelligent, right? Sue, even Johnny, who's made some impulsive and rash immature decisions, is intelligent. What we also see is that their intelligence, they don't always choose to use it because they're so used to Reed being 80 steps ahead of everyone that Reed has already thought of the solution and is telling it to them before they can even always recognize that there's a problem to be solved. So it's almost like some of those critical thinking skills have atrophied.
1: With the other like language, if you don't use it, you lose it. Yeah.
0: I mean, I spent six months living in France in the year 2000. I could could not hold a conversation in French today, just because I haven't used the skills
1: since. Right. It's an interesting idea. I wonder if over the fantastic cast, if they've had thoughts like that, I'm behind on that show.
0: Uh, not that I can recall. I'm about halfway through the episode they released yesterday. And Sounds like an email. Yeah, I probably should fire it off
1: to them. (laughs) If there's a story that that sparks the idea. You'll have to go
0: back and find some. I mean, they have commented on the uneven nature of Johnny's intelligence, because there's some issues where he's actually quite bright and some issues where he's a complete and total idiot.
1: Um, Mm -hmm. The latter of which are much more common in the Strange Tales days. Right. Yeah. But really, was Johnny the idiot or were the stories the idiots in that one?
0: Yeah, that's... uh, The Strange Tales run was not good.
1: That's where I am in my Fantastic Four right now.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, well, Strange Tales as a comic book, I think survived because of Doctor Strange and Nick Fury, and not because of the Human Torch.
1: Right. Probably. But this is not a Strange Tales podcast. No. No, this is a Marvel two-in-one annual podcast. It did remind me of Marvel Superhero Secret Wars, with a cosmic force teleporting people off to his own purposes, Mm-hmm. And also Contest of Champions a bit, which I haven't, which I don't think that the storyline exactly follows, but just as I was reading, I was kind of reminded of it.
0: Yeah, and Contest of Champions is one. When I was reading this, I wished I'd read it. And I googled it online and found out that Contest of Champions four issue mini series this annual was published between issues two and three. Oh, so they were almost concurrent in terms of their publication. So that's what I've been really tempted to go back and read for this podcast. I am trying to just read the issues listed in Marvel's official list. Right. So things like Fatal Attractions, which is a 30-issue omnibus. I'm just trying to read the six that they specifically name.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: But, yeah, that, that's one that I would like to compare it to, because it's, from what I've heard of the description, I don't know if you've read it. If you have, please chime in with any comparisons. I have not. Okay. It, it does sound like they were coming from a similar mindset, yeah, and a, a similar idea. But, I mean, getting back to You know, why we think this is where it is in the tournament and what impact it has. I think you summed it up. This is, this is a very representative story of Ben Grimm at his most Ben Grimm. Mm -hmm. That's what it does. Ben Grimm has a lot of well deserved fans. And if someone were to come up to me and say, what's one comic that really tells me who the thing is and what I need to know about the thing, this could very well be the issue I tell them to read. I think the only thing that would hold me back from saying, read this, it's the most represented issue of the thing, is if they're not reading from my collection, it's going to be bloody hard to find. (laughs) Because as I said, it's only been reprinted the once, and that book it's been reprinted in is now out of print. Nice.
1: It does also kind of, when I was reading it, I was like, okay, so this whole story is basically just one big fight. Yeah. But then I was thinking, but really, that's what superhero comics are anyway. So it's taking the whole idea of every superhero comic has a fight somewhere, somehow, between the good guy and the bad guy. and It's taking that and putting it in the context of boxing for the sake of the world. And I just thought that was kind of a funny take on the idea. Um, I don't know, maybe even deconstructing it before deconstructing was cool.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I think I could see that because it is it's removed the good and evil high stakes in a lot of ways. I mean, they allude to the fact that there's higher stakes involved, but
1: never really say what they are. Turns out the entire thing was just to determine what he was going to wear the next day, the champion. Yeah. Yeah, which he wasn't sure whether to go with the pink shirt or the yellow. And uh, <laughs> I don't know.
0: Yeah, well, who knows? Maybe he just needed to get that crowd together to see what, you know, what shirts look best on the redheads. And redhead is, the redheads are rare, so you need a lot of people in one place. Right.
1: Is it weird though that the the champion of the universe likes to follow the rules of earth boxing?
0: It could be, but we don't know enough of the backstory to know if he follows the rules of earth boxing everywhere he goes. Or if as he goes from planet to planet, he looks at it and says, Okay, what is the representative combat sport?
1: Oh, that's true. He could have just picked boxing for this world because we have boxing. Yeah. We even have a day for it. In some ways, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um yeah, well, that is one of the 12 Days of Christmas. Just ask Bogman Doug McKenzie. The only other two notes I had for the story, um, I was confused by the Vision's involvement, if he was just there to fill pages, or if they legitimately wanted to make a nod to why the Vision wasn't in the story. Because if they're going through and picking all of their strong players and either including them or explaining why they're not included or, you know, throwing them out on technicalities right off the bat, whatever... Um, There are a few other names I think they might have thrown in, Spider-Man being one, but I never really think of the Vision as being like a fighter or a powerhouse. Yes, with his density powers, he can surely wield a lot of might, but that's just never one of those things I mentally associate with him.
0: Yeah, he is in many, many ways the John Jones of the Marvel Universe, right? He's got a lot of parallels to the Martian Manhunter where the power is there but he really strikes me as one of the characters who fights as a last resort Mm -hmm. and not as a first resort. Like the vision is powerful, you know, with those density powers, he can become powerful, but he is, he's not a boxer. I'm not a huge fan of boxing myself. Actually don't understand people hitting each other for the sake of finding out who's better at hitting each other in any context.
1: I mean, I, I read a well, lot of obviously.
0: yeah, I read a lot of violent comics, but there—that's more of a good and evil stakes. It's fighting to protect the innocent, which is something I can get behind.
1: But and there's also escapism versus reality. I mean, people hitting each other in a story is one thing. People hitting each other because they like to hit each other is something else. I don't, I don't, I'm with you on that. Maybe it's maybe it's the testosterone levels. I just don't get it. I don't know. Yeah. So when we've got this,
0: like, the, the vision doesn't strike me as an effective boxer. I mean. He can use his android mind to do some planning, but keep in mind, his his android brain was based on the brain patterns of Wonder Man. I don't remember if that had been clearly established in the comics at this point or not, because I don't think it was established right off the bat with your Avengers Inspirations run. You may know that better than I do, depending on how far along you are.
1: Well, I did an Avengers read-through back when the first movie came out, and I got up to almost this far. So I saw Wonder Man's debut, and I think... That it was established that his mind was based on Simon Williams before Simon Williams came back from the dead, because once he did, there was some weirdness. Okay. So the whole full background of the of the vision and everything was done, I believe, during the Steve Englehart run, and that was before Wonder Man came out. So yeah, I, I I believe it was settled by this point.
0: Okay. So in that sense, in a lot of ways, the vision is basically Wonder Man, who instead of wanting to be an actor, is coping with being an android. He'll make some of the similar choices and has similar mindsets. So there's no particular reason to expect the Vision to perform better in this boxing match than Wonder Man did.
1: Right. We never get to see anyway because he's, he's a fake man and doesn't get to play.
0: Yeah. But you know, as you said, there are some pretty powerful characters. There's I don't, I'm, Some of this, I actually like the way this villain is handled. Like you said, he plays by the rules. He doesn't seem to be evil. He just seems to be in here for the contest. And one of the differences between this and Secret Wars, where they were, you know, picking good and evil, these were all heroes. There are some powerful villains out there who were not invited to the table. Interesting. Right? We don't have the Abomination here. We don't have Doctor Doom here.
1: We don't have Atuma or any of the big bruisers that go up against the heroes. They're their strongest villains.
0: Yeah. He's just picking the heroes. He's looking for the noble champion.
1: The Absorbing Man would have been another one. Yeah, that's interesting. You're right. Um, Huh. I wonder if there's actually something to that, if the champion, like, if he really wanted a contest of heroes, if he wanted to go up against, you know, people who fight for the side of right or or whatever.
0: Yeah. I mean, he is, we've seen it right in the dialogue. He acknowledges the nobility and the spirit of the thing and respects him for it. So, yeah, I I think that's, that's a piece of this, and that's one of the nice things about it that does set this comic apart from most of the stands. As you said before, this is a completely different motivation for the fight. They're basically being drafted into a boxing match. And that's it. And it does seem to have ramifications. Like I said, I try to only read the comics that are named for the sake of this podcast. But in the essentials, I can't help but look at the cover of the next page. And as I said, it does seem to have ramifications. The cover of the next page is the thing in a hospital bed, with a huge pile of heroes out fighting some big fight in the hallway where the nurse going, shh, while the thing's trying
1: to recover. Okay, so that's, do you know that that's the recovery from this fight, or is that speculation? I mean, did, did you look at it enough to know that it's connection? That's speculation. I haven't okay. turned one page. But it, but it seems likely, yeah, you're right. That's, that's really neat, though, because in, in the 80s, um, stories from annuals often did not have anything to do with stories from monthlies. They did not plot-wise link up like that. That's, that's really interesting.
0: Okay, well maybe I'll bend the rules here and read the first panel or two.
1: I believe, I I I find a likely thing, that thing, is one of the things I like about current comics. Because whenever I was collecting comics, I was always kind of disappointed that the annuals were kind of their own little thing. And often telling stories that just were not as good as the regular stories. Um, but I'm, I'm reading everything DC right now, and those annuals always are significant stories
0: yeah this one is uh sorry the bottom of the second page establishes it's a combination of the beating he took from the gladiator in fantastic four 249 and the beating he took from the champion in marvel two-in-one annual although they mislabeled it as annual number six instead of number seven
1: <laughs> yay editors <laughs> okay so um in one of those two fights then he was already coming at it pretty pummeled that's interesting
0: yeah, and according to this, the Fantastic Four fight started first, so, but, yeah, looks like there's quite the number of guest stars in that issue, but I'll stop flipping, because that one didn't make the list.
1: The the one other note that I had was, was basically kind of a general storytelling note from this era, because this is 1982, and you have characters all in their classic modes, because um, there was a time when, if you had read, like, the origin story of a character, you could read a what-was-current-at-the-time story, and still know basically everything going into it. Stories that were ten years apart didn't really have a whole lot of difference in the way the characters were treated. And they called this the status quo, and, and, and storytelling like that went on for two or three decades. But nowadays in comics, characters are constantly undergoing significant changes, and there is no status quo. And I, just, I find that a very interesting difference in the storytelling of today versus the storytelling of, say, 1982.
0: Yeah, there was a period with, uh, well, Stan Lee was the one who said that he liked to offer the illusion of change. Right. And,
1: and and you would have little changes, like like here Hulk is intelligent. Wonder Man's an actor instead of an Avenger. The Vision and Scarlet Witch are retired. But that's all like basic one-sentence stuff that could easily change next month.
0: Yeah, a lot of those, you know, changes that could be significant, if the last six months, that's a long time in this era.
1: Right, and then they go back to the status quo. There is a lot of difference nowadays because... Captain America has not been Captain America since Civil War. I mean, he if you want to look at a classic status for Captain America, it hasn't there hasn't been one since at least as far back as Civil War.
0: Yeah, going back to Civil War, I haven't added up the issues, but probably close to half that time, Steve Rogers wasn't the Captain America that was serving.
1: Right. Because you've had Bucky and, and the and now you have um Sam Wilson, yeah. Right. Yeah. So is, and, it's just is it a different way of telling stories nowadays. I, I think that it's easy to see why some would have one taste, a preference for one over a preference for the other. Mm-hmm. I like to like comics, so I tend to go with both of them. But Yeah, and for me, it depends on the mood. I like to be surprised, and trying to avoid a status
0: quo like the ongoings today, that does a really good job of that, and it helps keep my interest from month to month. The downside to having that shift in status quo is it makes the stories harder to just pick up and read as sort of a, a short-taste consumable entertainment.
1: I was thinking about that as as you were talking, yeah, because maybe one of the, either one of the reasons there are not as many new readers in the comics market or because um, since there are not as many new readers in the comics market, they've taken advantage of that. Either way, um, it is harder to just pick up a comic book, a lot harder nowadays. Yeah,
0: and there, there's things that they're trying to do with that. I mean, DC tried to solve that problem by relaunching the entire universe with a massive marketing push saying, here's a brand new number one that anyone can jump onto. And that's, as someone who picked up all 52 number one issues in September 2011, I can say that, yeah, for the vast majority of those titles, those were good jumping on points, because I was barely getting any DC titles before that. I'm barely getting any now, right? I'm essentially now getting Grayson and the Green Lantern Corner of the Universe. And oddly, Green Lantern number one is one of the, the ones where I'd be most concerned about handing it to someone as the new number one and saying, okay, go but you know marvel's trying to handle it they've got their periodic relaunches with the point ones the point nows and you know, with their recap pages
1: mm-hmm. so you have a you have a a narrative jumping on point every several months that they can you could also point to a tray and say okay this is a volume you can start with this and then once you've read this you can catch up to current
0: yeah and marvel has been generally better than dc in terms of publishing the the collected editions quickly enough that you know story arc number 1 comes out in trade while well, story arc number two is still on the stands. So people who get that trade can follow up and keep going. Right? They'll release a uh, trade usually, you know, one to three months after that storyline wraps up. Whereas DC seems to be more like twelve at the ones I've been interested in, yeah. which is way beyond the end of the current arc, and it's it does make it more difficult to catch up. Although neither of those guys can hold a candle to Image with. I mean, the, the first collected edition of any Image book seems to come out the same day as the first issue of the next story arc.
1: Right. And a lot of Image they'll they'll take breaks between arcs to catch up on the creation of the comics and they'll put out the trade during that break. So as soon as issue 13 or 7 or, you know, 25 comes out, you've had all the trades, you can you can be ready to go. Yep.
0: Yeah. And that's I mean I think you look at something like Manhattan Projects, you know, if if you didn't pick it up right away, it's getting re-reviews. Well, the, the trade collected the first four issues comes out the same day as issue five. Yeah. Right. So if you've heard those reviews, now you can go and say, okay, I'll add this to my poll list effective immediately and grab that trade to get caught up.
1: Well, what else do we have for this? Uh, I think the only thing that we haven't
0: really done is gone through whether or not there's any deeper meanings to this. And, you know, why does it have deeper meanings? And why do you think we up at this point in the tournament, which we've touched on already a couple of times. As far as the deeper meanings, I think it's just, you know, if anything, it's be a good person, because it's really the nobility of the thing saying, you know, I'm not giving up. Right. He's chosen the heroes, even the bad guys following the rules, and the thing earns his respect by persevering and committing to a cause.
1: Yeah, that's really about all that I could probably see to it as well, because it is a a big old fight issue that takes the idea of it being a big old fight issue and turns into a new kind of big old fight issues so it's it's not rife with narrative underlying things but what does save the day is perseverance and fighting back and standing up for well being a champion which means standing up for those who can't stand up for themselves and the thing is willing to do that no matter what it takes um despite all the battering and i think the one thing that distinguishes his time in the the ring from colossus's time is that Colossus was taking a beating, he wasn't giving back. And I think what earns the Champion's respect is that the Thing, no matter what happens, he is going to throw another punch.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's probably true.
1: But yeah, as far as where it is in the list, it's towards the bottom of the 75, but it's on the list. And honestly, there are a few things on here that I didn't even know existed, so if you asked me to put this on the uh, list, I'd say, what are you even talking about? But it is a great Thing story. Which, the Thing probably being a B-list character... The Fantastic Four is an A-list team, but is the Thing as a character an A-list character? And I would probably put him on my B-list. So having it towards the bottom of the 75 makes sense to me.
0: Yeah, and as we're going to know as we come through, it seems like first appearances, final appearances or deaths, or at least apparent deaths, other major continuity milestones... Those also contribute to high ranks in the tournament. None of those are here, right? This is just a plain good entertaining comic.
1: This, this story got in on its yeah. own merits. Yeah. And, and I like that. Yeah. So I, I think that's why it's
0: on the list, but the fact that, I mean, it, it doesn't show up as far as I can tell. That next issue where Thing is in the hospital is probably the only reference to this story. Even I've read the Silver Surfer run where the champion comes back again. And, I don't even think that comes up because I think the Silver Surfer meets him in the terms of the, the contest of Elders. I think it's one of those cases where the champion says, "Yeah, I'm familiar with Earth." And then, <laughs> you know, footnote: see Marvel Two in One Annual Number Seven for details.
1: Right from eight years earlier, or whatever. Yeah.
0: So I think, yeah, in terms of continuity, you'd be hard pressed to find a comic outside of you know issue ninety-six of Marvel Two in One that points to this comic. So yeah, I think that's why it's it's there. It made the list just because. It's an atypical, but very good story.
1: What it also means is that it still stood out in the minds of the people who know this run. Enough <laughs> that it got nominated and voted for yeah. to to make the list.
0: Yeah, it's 30 years later. People are saying, Th- I I enjoyed this more than I've enjoyed other things. And that it usually means that they've enjoyed it in a way that other comics have not been enjoyable. So I think at that point, uh, John, I'd just like to... Thank you for joining us, and we'll throw in a promo for one of your shows. You can talk about all your shows here, and
1: I don't actually have a promo for my active show. <laughs> so okay, um, but but feel free to use one for something that is is currently on pause, such as a Superman show or whatever. But the one show that I'm focusing on right now is the one I do with my daughter, Avengers Inspirations, where we look at all of the early issues of comics featuring the characters that have been showing up in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So um, it's it's been fun looking at early 60s stuff. We're uh, around the uh, beginning of the actual Avengers series, so that's been that's been good to look at. And yeah, it's uh, it's over at the Complete Marvel Reading Order website, which is cmrotravis or you can search Complete Marvel Reading Order or Avengers Inspirations on iTunes to find it there.
0: All right. So again, thank you for joining us. Look forward to your next appearance on the show. I'll be here. All right. Uh, That next appearance will not be next week. Next week, we are covering Fantastic Four, number 262. And those of you who heard some of the names that were dropped earlier in this podcast may be able to guess at which guest star will be joining us. But Fantastic Four 262, if you'd like to read along at home, has been reprinted in Fantastic Four, the Trial of Galactus trade paperback, Fantastic Four Visionaries, John Byrne, Volume 4 trade paperback. It's available on Marvel Digital Unlimited and through Comixology and was included in, first, the initial Just Fantastic Four DVD-ROM from Graphic Imaging Technology Corporation that came out before the first Fantastic Four film by Fox, and it was also included in Fantastic Four and the Silver Surfer DVD-ROM that came out before Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer. So there are a few places to get it. The DVD-ROM is the one I would recommend because it scans of the actual issue in huge runs, if you can find it for a reasonable price because those are no longer available from the manufacturer you have to buy them used and people are charging way more than retail for them these days alright so join us next week for Fantastic Four 262 and thank you for listening
1: what's wrong Star Wars fans Disney Disney killed the expanded universe they killed the whole thing It's dead. Every single book. Not just the novels, but the comics. And the video games, too. It's like they're just stories, and Disney threw them out like stories. I hate them! Okay, Star Wars fans, relax. Here. Have a Snickers. No one destroyed your Star Wars Expanded Universe. In fact, I'm going to give you a whole new opportunity to go back and explore all those books and comics that have helped to shape and mold this universe we love so much. Join me on the Star Wars SagaCast, where I'll be walking through the various branches of the Star Wars Expanded Universe, much of it for my very first time. I'll be bringing you short episodes that review comics, longer episodes that explore the novels, and in-film commentaries, cause you know you're just dying to hear what some random guy on the internet has to say about movies that you've seen a hundred times before. You know you are. So come along for The Star Wars Saga Cast at thestarwarssagacast.com